Hey, real quick, Eric from Tap That AZ. Go to patreon.com forward slash tap that AZ. Join the Patreon team and you get to binge listen to all seven episodes of this Cicerone series. Also, free shirts, swag bags, stickers, cool stuff, early access to episodes. Go check it out. Patreon.com forward slash tap that AZ. Make sure you guys check out Inkle Do. These guys are awesome. Buy their coffee. It's awesome. You're awesome. Bye. Welcome back, everybody, to the Sissified miniseries. We are in episode four, which is section three of the uh, Cicerone certified beer server outline. We're going to be digging into beer flavor and evaluation, which is probably one of the most important because we need to know what beer tastes like, especially if we're going to tell other people what beer tastes like or offer beers to people as a server. This is huge and and knowing what we're tasting is one of the reasons why we are we are working to become certified beer services so that we can better communicate what we taste and experience to others so that they can enjoy it more so we're joined here by uh, none other than brian helden we're very blessed that he opened up his shop and gave us his time to um, impart his wisdom to us and Give it a listen. I hope you gain as much as we did. Okay, so we are here in the big table. The big table back in the brewery section of Helton Brewing Company, 22nd Street and Indian School. Yeah. One of my favorite spots. Drinking one of my favorite Arizona beers. Actually, I want to say not just Arizona, just one of my favorite beers in the world. Ah, Thank you. You know what it is (laughs) by looking at it? Pretty much. (laughs) <laughs> I would hope so. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. <laughs> it is I knew what beer. it was before you even ordered it, dude. Yes. <laughs> so uh, we are. This is one of the episodes for the uh, Cicerone uh, Certified Beer Server mini series that we're doing with our our friends at Inkle Dew Podcast. Um, we're going to be talking about beer flavor and evaluation with this gentleman right here. Yeah, Helton. who goes by the name of Helton Brewing Company, Brian. Brian Helton, yes. <laughs> right. And uh, introduce yourself over here too, my friend. Yes, hello. This is Brandon from Inkledo. So, And? Oh, hi, everybody. It's Liz. Liz. It's uh, Liz. You're friendly. Uh, Liz, you're friendly beer drinking buddy. <laughs> Back at it again. Your shirt even says drinking buddy. My, beer, my shirt says, this is my favorite drinking shirt. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> it's huge. Yeah. So I'm like, I don't care how fluffy I am. I'm going to look cute in this one, all right? <laughs> Whether y'all like it or not. It handles the carbonation for it you. It does. Right. And the sweat just looks wet. Oh, yeah. You'd never yes. know. So it is a warm day here in the brewery. It's uh, it's in the mid to high 90s, it's right? Warm. We're getting there. Yeah. That's yeah. all right. That's right. That's how you stay so fit in here, right? You right. just sweat Absolutely. it all out, Brian. Yep. <laughs> so today we're going to talk about uh, the section on the, uh, the Cicerone, the certified beer server, beer flavor and evaluation. Brian, this is something you're pretty... Uh, knowledgeable and passionate about right absolutely yeah. yeah you know we totally believe in education the more people out there that are evaluating or talking or drinking beer should have somewhat of a background of education so this is a, a great way to uh, to start absolutely the beer server program is amazing and you you had done classes um it here right where you guys were doing um, tastings and pairings and, and yep. flavor evaluations, right? Absolutely. Um, yeah, we grew up some uh, Siebel Institute. Uh, they're really great with some of their off-flavor, you know. Um, and what we do is, like, educate people. and what, We'll give them, like, 90% below threshold, 
or 100%, and then we'll move them to like 100 to 200% above threshold. So at the end of the day, they actually know what acetaldehyde tastes like. Um, one of the worst part of my industry is some of these industry people that think they know beer, that don't have the palate or are not educated, <laughs> yeah. and start talking trash about some other breweries. And I'm the first to tell people, it's like, you know what? Once we put it in kegs and bottles and cans, we lose a lot of our, you know, aspect of control. So go to the brewery, taste the beer, then form your opinion. But until then, uh, if we can give these classes to educate people on what these all flavors are and be educated on it, all right, that's step one. Sure. So, yeah, absolutely. And when you say that, sorry, Brandon, um, when you say that, you get a lot of people that are like, they try to make it sound like they're smart. Like, oh, I get, this is a diacetyl bomb. Absolutely. And, they're like, and you're like, dude, you have no idea what you're tasting. Then yeah. you're like, can yeah. you spell diacetyl? <laughs> right. Thank you. Right. Well, plus it just helps like cut down the hate on the brewery. Like These yes. guys might be making something awesome, and it was something that was outside of their control. So rather than yes. jumping on, like well we've, we've trashed Yelp a few times, and it's well-deserved. But they jump on there and they trash the brewery, but it might have been the lines that are dirty or something. And so that little, just a little bit of education can help a independent brewery really succeed instead of cutting them down. Yeah, well yep. said, absolutely. Yep. Yep. So, um, so we're going to talk about flavor and evaluation. So, the first section it talks about is is how the taste and flavor and how we perceive flavor. So there's there's a few things that go into that. Really, I mean, it's well, a couple things, right? Aroma and taste. Absolutely, yeah. and and it kills me that what you've actually pers- what you've consumed in the last hour is going to basically dictate how you perceive these flavors and aromas. So we've had regulars that come in all the time, you know, and they're like, "Oh, this tastes totally different." Well, I'm like. I just seen you drink a vodka cranberry <laughs> and eat hot wings, and now you're drinking my IPA and tell me it's different than what you had yesterday. I'm like, yeah. of course it is. Yeah. So people just really don't understand the the physiology of how your body reacts to aromas and flavors. So that's what we start with. You know, we tell people how their palate and their like walking chemistry in their body is totally different than every, anybody else's. So, A, trust that, and B, just to be a little bit more educated on some of these all-flavors. And, yes, they're out there, yeah. but at the same time, identify them and learn your own system. Gotcha. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. when sorry, when you got a good beer, how do you approach it first? Aroma, we were saying, is, is a major part of taste. So, oh, hell how, yeah. do, how do you approach aroma and identify, you know, criticize, things like that? Well, if I'm not mistaken, which don't quote me, but there's like 460 to like 600, depending on anybody, you know, personal, you know, chemical factory they walk in their skin with. But aroma is the first thing that you're going to smell or taste, you know. So uh, let's say a guy puts on a lot of cologne or a girl with like a lot of hairspray. Of course, that's going to affect their aroma. So therefore, their flavor is going to affect everything. So... Aroma is probably the best thing that we're trying to work on when it comes to any type of aromatics. I mean, they're very volatile, so we, we work our ass off as brewers to get those aromatics to stay in the beer, you know. So that is your first and foremost to getting the flavors. There, there's four flavors that we've identified. Umami is now the fifth, if people accept that or not. So now we got five flavors. So with that said... Of course, you know, you, you first taste everything with your nose. That's why beer is 
well, sorry, wine people, superior to wine because we have carbonation. With carbonation, now we're bringing all those aromas and flavors first to the nasal cavity. So you're getting that first. So that is where kind of beer is a little bit more superior than wine because we're getting that. You know, you taste first with your nasal cavity and how you perceive these flavors come into your palate. It's like if you've ever had a cold. You know, you have a sinus kind of like cold and you can't taste anything. Yeah, because the first thing that you're noticing is that, oh, I can't smell anything. Oh, well, now I can't taste anything. And unless it's in the flavor composition of like like capsaicin or something that's actually going to have a physical chemistry, you know, change to what your palate is going to get. You're not going to know anything. Yeah. Like you're completely blind to the flavors. Yeah, that's so yeah, so great. smelling is super hella important. Yep. <laughs> and there's a few, uh, there's a few techniques, right? I mean, there's the, I didn't know that there was these different techniques. I'm like, I just, yeah, this was new for me too. With my nose. Right. <laughs> but one of the things outlined is the distant sniff. Like, so mm. What is Liz? You know yep. what the distance okay. of it. <laughs> She's like, yeah, Listen, please, I please. She puts her hand up. <laughs> she almost like dislocated her shoulder, putting her hand in the air. Yeah. <laughs> so what out. is that? What is the distance sniff? The distance sniff is is basically as obvious as it sounds. It's um, the amount of space between your nose and the actual object that you're smelling. So I can dip my nose right here into this glass and take a nice big whiff. I can put it three inches or an inch away and get completely different aromas because. Like kind of like we talked about earlier, is that things develop, right? You have a you have a kettle sour out that's going to like sit out for a minute, and it's going to open up. It's going to develop, and the, just as the flavors are, the smells are going to develop as well. So you may pick up like you know other undertones from something that could be so rich. So for example, like rose. Rose is a very subtle flavor, and it can be very easily overpowered by anything else. Um, so if you let that kind of sit and open up, you can definitely give like a little bit of, you know, leeway to it. I can just kind of sit back here. And if we were all drinking, let's say theoretically, all of us were sitting and drinking the exact same thing, right? If we sit around and we have our beers and we're sitting in a little bit closer proximity, yeah, we're going to smell like notes from that. But then you give it a while and then it's like, okay, you're going to have a sour. You're going to have a stout. You're going to have an IPA. We're all going to have those, you know, molecules in our nose break up even harder than we thought before be like i didn't think i had you know rose hips in this size on <laughs> like you don't know and it's it's fun to like kind of explore with that and to try and like figure it out it's like a game it's like a puzzle you have to try and put the pieces together and it just is that kind of evolving game where it's like if you have it fresh in glass and then you're just letting it chill letting it sit so for example i'm drinking an american wheat right some beers are going to have a nose profile to it and some beers aren't just some aren't, and that's okay. But that's where you have to try and play the game. That's where you have to try and like figure out, oh, what can I? What is coming out of this? What's coming out, and what can complement things? And so when we get into food, it's like, oh, cool. What am I going to have that's going to really encompass this? And you guys are so damn cute. I just love this. <laughs> I love this all day. We've been for those of our listeners, for our listeners who who are going to be listening to this later on. We've been taking a lot of video, and I really, really hope that you guys tune into our next podcast. Um, we're going to be doing more live video. We're going to be highlighting a lot of our chefs. <coughs> Tamara right there. Hi, babe. Tamara. So, so we're going to, so it's really cool. But anyway, yes, getting back into your flavors of beer, just nurture your beer. Don't just, you can, you know, do the office where you just pound it back and you just want to enjoy it. But you know what? There's so much complexity and so much love and so much care that goes into these beers that, yeah, it is like a puzzle. It's kind of like a game that you get to play with yourself and get to figure out, oh, okay, what is going to pair sorry. with something next, right? 
And then you have four or five, and you're just like, oh, it's just so damn good. I just want it in my belly. I'm yeah. fine. <laughs> I'm fine. It's good. Yeah. It's good. <laughs> but it's good. so, so when you're when you're advising people, uh, Brian, on like smelling the beer, like what? How do how do you? If I was saying it, I, don't, I have no idea. I was supposed to smell my beer. What would you tell me? <laughs> There's a couple of different theories. Um, <laughs> believe me, I mean, carbonation is a huge part of beer. We talked about that already. Um, I literally spent probably seven years studying carbonation levels and what, which aromatics I want to well, perceive to the customer. Okay. So, I mean, uh, the perfume industry has really fucked everything up because they're like, oh, <laughs> smell coffee beans. Well, no, that doesn't really work. The best way to smell your own skin, because that's where your, you know, your equilibrium is. And then it's your smell. Whatever you pick up, you pick up. But we work a shitload. Believe me, you have no idea how much money we spend as brewers to get these aromatics and dry hop into these beers. So you guys actually think, oh, shit, that's worthy. Yeah. So uh, just be open-minded. Um Think about, like I said, what have you been around for the last hour? It's going to, you know, dictate some of your influences, but it, it really is. It's all about the aromatics, and that's why beer is superior because, you know, we do have that, you know, very volatile aromatics being presented with the CO2. And first, before you even like consume the beer, you're getting that in your aromas. Your nasal cavities are mm-hmm. filled with that. Yeah. So it's designed that way. So, you kind, yeah. of, kind of think about it with coffee and wine. Both, they have to aerate everything. So it's almost, yeah. Right? as soon as you get it in your glass, it is aerated, whereas a lot of the other beverages, you have to aerate in order to open it up right. and get yeah. those flavors to come out. So that's a really good point. That step that's for interesting. You, yeah. and you don't is, have to decant a beer. No. It's yeah. already there. Yeah, but this is like, you know, step one, like a lot of people don't even understand this, but you should never, ever drink a beer out of a goddamn bottle or a <laughs> damn <laughs> You know, can't. Please. Or a, or a Put it into glass a glass and let those aromatics come. <laughs> let the CO2 do its job. We designed the beer for that. Yeah. We never designed a beer to be put into a can or a bottle. I mean, that's just convenience, you know, to the public sure. and, you know, what have you for sales purposes, purposes. But, yeah, the beer is designed to be put into a glass and consumed, you know. So. Yeah. And, and so just different techniques that I've seen and, and what they outline here is like the the – Short sniff, right? Like somebody described it to me as like a dog. Like when you see a dog sniffing, yeah. it's not doing a big long sniff. It's like the the quick sniffs, and so just different things like that helps you pick up those different yes. those different aromas. Yeah. yeah, and the covered sniff. What is that? Oh, you cover the covered cover. sniff. Yeah, cover it, I guess. Well, actually, can I jump in on that jump one? Jump. So we kind of do in. that in coffee. Uh, so with coffee cuppings, when you're doing that, it actually creates a crust on top. And then after it sits for its four minutes, you actually stick your nose in there and then you break the crust. And that, so it kind of covers the coffee. And then when you break the crust, it just kind of fills your nose with aromatics. So uh, same thing, you're kind of covering it up and holding it in. And then once you open it up, it just kind of is a rush. So you can fill your nose with all of the, the smells. Yeah. And that really does work. But just keep in mind, don't be eating fish and chips and use your hand. Right. Like he said, <laughs> use a napkin, use a coaster, use something besides your damn hand, which we see a lot of times. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then it, it goes beyond, like, so once you, once you sniff it, and actually, I guess to kind of back up, um, when you're evaluating a beer, you're looking at it as well, right? That's one of the, the things that people that really know their shit one of the first things you see them do is they raise the glass up to a light or something, right? Like, what, right. what are you looking for when you're doing that? A couple of different things. I mean, you know, the, the clarity of the beer, but that's all aesthetics. And, uh, of course, modern-day commercialism has taught people that 
beer needs to be super clear. It's kind of all bullshit, to be honest mm-hmm. with you. Um, the flavors and some of the components that we are putting in the beer, we want to stay in solution. If it totally goes clear, then of course you're you know taking stuff out of the you know solution. Beer is ninety percent water. I don't filter my, any of my beers, no preservatives, no stabilizers. So what I'm trying to do is give you guys an aesthetically appealing beer, which if you look at my Pilsner, it's pretty bright. It's not filtered. But at the same time, if I would filter these beers, then it's almost like making, as a chef, Tamara, you can jump in here, that it's like if you make broccoli cheese soup, would you ever put it through a cheesecloth? <laughs> Hell no. <laughs> All those little components of flavors, you're stripping out. And that's what happens when you filter a beer. Now, don't get me wrong. Some of these bigger guys have to look at shelf stability of like 120 to 180, day, 180 days. So, of course, yeah, they have to think about that. Me, I'm so small, I don't have to. Yes. So, yeah, I'm still on the smaller guy. They're like, ah, <laughs> purity. Um, but, yeah, anytime you take your beer through any process like that, you're introducing oxidation, which is our worst enemy. Okay. And you're taking out the flavors that we built so hard to get into that beer for the aromas and the flavors. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Well, and it's so funny because you look at this Pilsner, and I, for me, my knowledge, I wouldn't think it would be an unfiltered Pilsner. It's, a, it's such a just beautifully brilliant beer. But thank you for not filtering because yeah. it's amazing. And I probably tell you that every time I see you. <laughs> it's like, all right, that's all right. I don't, I don't, I don't care. I love so, it. So one thing that we're kind of like tying back into our Cicerone certification, Matt just kind of like, you know, very low key sent me, is it kind of going back into the aroma techniques. So looking straight up on our study guide, because we're good students like that, um, <laughs> a distant sniff and something I was definitely paraphrasing before, but kind of like diving into a little bit of that. You swirl the beer while holding a glass six to eight inches, right? So that's what I was kind of saying. I use it kind of like a dollar bill. A dollar bill is about six inches, right? So you get that along there. Um, a long sniff is, again, you swirl the beer. And then you bring the glass to your nose and take one long sniff. So just about maybe like 10 seconds or so, right? You count to 10, you make a nice big inhale. And a covered sniff, like Eric was saying, is that you're going to cover the glass with your hand, right? And then swirl the beer for about three to five seconds and then bring the glass to your nose again. And then you're going to remove your hand and then sniff. So what is that actually doing? So as a cover sniff, dive into that a touch. So you're going to go ahead and you're going to cover everything. So you're letting the carbonation, right? It's getting out of the glass. It's coming into your nose. And you're just not allowing anything else to kind of taint that smell. I think that's what the covered part is definitely getting trying to get into. You're trying gotcha. to not have it contaminated with anything else. So let's say you do have, you know, a dozen hot wings in front of you and you're like ready to like mow those down, but you really want to enjoy your beer. So you're going to go ahead and cover that and you're just gonna eliminate the fact that anything else is going to taint or contaminate your smell that you're gonna try uh, and do. Gotcha, okay. Um it also notes in here use consistent background to assess color and clarity. What okay. does that mean? I saw that. Okay, so color and clarity. So like you said, you're going to bring it up to, you know, a little bit more of a light profile. You're going to want to take a look at it. Um, For me, I have found that color and clarity also ties a lot into um, carbonation. So if I'm going to take a glass up to the light, I can definitely see that there's bubbles coming out. I can see that there are bubbles, you know, cascading in, like, to the top. But you're also looking for the color of the beer. So if I'm going to be drinking, you know, a Pilsner, is it going to be that light golden blonde color or is there going to be some sort of amber notes to it? 
Um, and then clarity, of course, is what we were talking about with filtering and unfiltering. Um, so one of the cool things to hear is that it also notes that beer should reach all parts of tongue during tasting. Ooh, so that's another thing. And I've actually taught this in my science class. So there are different parts of our tongue, right, that are, you know, considered different territories, right? So you get like your sours are going to be on the sides of your tongue. You're going to get sweetness at the tip, blah, blah, blah. That's actually been kind of like an interesting topic and a little bit more a hot topic because it's not necessarily true to form. Because like what Brian was saying, yep, what Brian was saying, you got to smell your skin first. You have to know your body chemistry first. You have to feel that first. And everybody's tongue and anatomy is going to be just slightly different. So, so yeah, if I put a sour in front of me, I'm going to feel it kind of like, and more of like in my jaw for some reason. I feel sours way back in like my jawbone, not necessarily in my palate, but like in my, you know, in my physical jaw, right? Or if you get, you know, some sort of stout with like a lot of coffee flavor, I get like the front of my palate. But that is different from person to person to person. It's going to vary between people. And that's what I think is going to be very tricky when it comes to talking about this. And that's the beauty of it is that you get to talk about it. You're like, my experience, use I statements. I think, I saw, I heard, I taste. I feel that it is, you know, X, Y, and Z. Another person could say, oh, well, I tasted this. And that kind of automatically triggers something in your head. You're like, did I taste this? Should I taste this again? And that's another thing that where it talks about. It's that the beer should reach all parts of your tongue. So you literally have to gargle your beer sometimes to try and figure out different I've complex seen flavors. Do that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally. Oh yeah, yeah. Hear it. That's the yeah, worst right. part. Yeah, you, know, you don't necessarily know somebody's doing, but somebody's like over at the other bar, and you're like, <laughs> "Bro, what are you doing?" Yeah, right. um, yeah. And lastly, on this little note, is that flavor perception continues after swallowing. So you gargle this beer, you get it all over your tongue, you get it all in there and you swallow it and then you exhale. When you exhale, you're forcing, you're forcing wind, you're forcing oxygen out of your body to then coat a different part of your tongue. So everything is coming in, right? It's all input. Once you exhale and you just like, you're, you're forcing your tongue and your palate to reach different flavors too. So this is very, very fascinating. It's a lot of cool science stuff behind the scenes. So thanks, Matt. Thanks for the study guide. You're the best. And with that said, cool. I mean, everyone's on this dank shit, right? So it's Everybody all about the marijuana it. dank crap. That, what you just said, ex- when you exhale after you swallow, about three seconds, that's when you're picking up on these piney notes. That's sure. where that dank's coming in. You know? So Simcoe, that's what we use to get mm-hmm. that. Simcoe's synonymous with that. You know? So, and that's where people don't realize it's like a, a, a treasury, you know, flavor and right. aromas that you're getting. After you swallow, that's where these flavors are coming in, you know. So three or four mm-hmm. seconds after you consume a beer and you actually are thinking about it, that's where it's hitting you. We're like, oh, shit, there it is. Mm-hmm. It's left you with this pine tar, piney, slash, well, dankiness, which is a, a term everyone's using, which is cool. Yeah. But it's the same damn thing. You're yeah. getting that, <laughs> yeah. you know. And it leaves you like, oh, I love that. I want more of it, you know. So it's not only your first sip or it's their second sip or your third it's that ending that you're like, oh, it leaves you wanting more. So yeah. one thing that Matt just, you know, threw my way again is the ideology of orthonasal. And Google tells us that retronasal olfaction, oh my God, I'm, I'm trying to read, <laughs> is the perception of odors emanating from the oral cavity during eating and drinking as opposed to orthonasal olfaction, which occurs during the sniffing. There will be a test 
guys. Uh, not the official so it's back pressure, pressure basically. <laughs> <laughs> Once you have it in there, um, the back pressure goes up into your nasal cavity right. and you resmell so it. Yeah. yeah, it continues to say the retronasal olfactory pathway, which contributes to the flavor of foods or drinks, is commonly associated with a sense of taste. So, yeah, your nose and your palate talk to each other. Yep. They're like, ah. you know... Not necessarily twins, but they're you know they're they're very very close. And like I said earlier, if you've ever had a cold or something, and your nose is just completely gunked up, you can't taste anything. Yeah. So cool. Sometimes that's a good thing, though, right? Sometimes. About like when you're trying to get your kids to have me- take medicine. <laughs> just plug your nose. Shut up. <laughs> no, it's horrible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so now a what about? Spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. It sure does. And Could it you also imagine makes just choking down? Yeah, yeah, right. Could you imagine just <laughs> yeah. choking your kids with like a, <laughs> like a tablespoon of sugar? Yeah, this oh, would they great. would love it. You oh, should see girls? my Nutella. Oh, my God. Yeah. Jeez. Uh, my, my seven-year-old knows at this point. She's like, I, don't, I can't have Nutella. I'm like, I know. I've seen you on Nutella. <laughs> I've seen so, you on Nutella. <laughs> so, uh, Good to know when I babysit them next yeah, time. Yeah, for sure. No Nutella. So different flavors that really come from the malts and the grains, right? Because the... the, the Really, the flavors come from a few different things, right? Whether it's the malts or the grains, the hops, and then um, like yeast, right? That's really where the yeah. yeah. So, what are some of the malt and grain flavors that, um, like a pale ale, like what what is typically synonymous with with that? I always tell people when you walk into a bakery, just pay attention to all those notes of whether it's coffee, fresh baked bread, cookies, scones, you know, biscuits. That's coming from the malt. Pretty much 97 and 99 percent of you know colors of the beer is coming from that. Um, beer is still 90 percent water, so the water chemistry will dictate everything that we're talking about. Okay. But if we're going back to the malt, like a pale ale, I mean that's really synonymous with just a simple um, two-row barley that's just kind of like caramelize a little bit too much or with a little crystal malt to give it that color but other than that now today with our west coast and everything we're doing we're all using either two-row or pilsner malt we're getting no color at all in the beer okay but if you're talking a, a traditional english you know style pale ale so to speak yeah they're using a little bit like a 15 color level bond or maybe a 20 just to give a little bit more color and they really kind of started to do that to be difference between society um, prior to that, of course, everyone knows the whole story about a porter, probably, you know, that's where the porter came from. Working man, you know, beer. Can you tell that story? Oh, gosh, you don't want me to. <laughs> I've been drinking all day. How that much would time take do we have? Right? <laughs> but regardless. You Google that story, though. It's an interesting story. Yeah, right? it really yeah. is. But the aristocrats, as soon as, like, the pale came around, uh, it was a society differential between the working class and high society. So, of course, people are like, oh, you're in public. You're working class, you're drinking a darker beer, and we're highfalutin, you know, fucks, and we're drinking <laughs> a non. But that was prior to Kiln, and what they were doing, they were actually burning the malt. So the maltsters that were actually not burning the malt cost more money, and that's how it all happened. Uh, so, yeah, that's where that, you know, pale ale came from. But malt-wise, profile-wise, flavor-wise... There's not much going on in a pale ale. It's all still about the hops, so to speak. You want a little bit of caramel sweetness if you're talking a traditional English style. Okay. Gotcha. And so, like, uh, so like this, we're drinking. I'm drinking the black IPA now, right? Mm-hmm. That's a that's a roasted malt that, that you're using for that. And that right? Yep. Yeah. That yeah. has that impact because it has that toastier flavor and. Yeah, that beer is taking me 20 years to develop. Really, uh, <laughs> it's a great beer, though, man. Yeah, that's thanks. yeah. 
Thank um, you for your 20 years of service. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, it's really a tricky to get that roasted character with that hot profile. Uh, and then once you move into a higher, you know, alcohol, you know, it waters it down. So we had to get the body up and what we, you know, needed to do. So that's been one of my uh, nemesis, but my masterpieces at the same time throughout my uh, brewing career. So, yeah, you know. It's difficult to get that because if you get too much bitterness, I always tell people, it's like, all right, do you drink your coffee with sugar and cream? All right, you're not going to like this beer. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. It's true because yeah. I like black coffee. Yeah. If you don't like arugula, you don't like, you know, certain food aspects, you're not going to dig this beer. Yeah. Uh, if you do, yeah, it, it's something for uh, the uniqueness of what we're trying to do with that. So when you're doing uh, extremely bitter malts and bitter hops, I mean, that's 100 IBUs. Um, and you try to make it sessionable, but yet, you know, it's, it's, it's fun. Yeah. You know? And uh, Stone, I mean, I, I love Stone, but when Sublime came out probably like 15 years ago, I'm like, I want to make this beer. I want to try and mimic it, you know, and I failed dramatically for a long-ass time. Yeah. <laughs> so I think recently I'm like, I'm starting to at least say we can release this to the public. I'm kind of happy with it. Well, I kind of like it, so yeah, nice. <laughs> yeah. It's really hard to do. It yeah. really is. Yeah. Well, so some of the lighter ones, like, so Liz, you, uh, you're you very good at covering these aspects of the... At least I try. You try. I try, try right? I try really hard. So on the test, on the on the outline of it, mm-hmm. it kind of breaks down the malt and grain flavors, right? From pale to, to the black beer. Sure. Yeah. So a lot of times is when you're looking at this, you have to take into account of a spectrum. Think of malt as like a really good cooking ingredient, right? Have you ever cooked with garlic before? Every day. Every day, (laughs) as you should. So think of it almost like when you're trying to get the flavors that come out of garlic, right? It's a very distinct flavor. You know this. The second it hits your palate, you're like, oh, well, this is garlic. And if you can try to to taste almost like a raw garlic to a really roasted garlic to almost burnt garlic, right? You have that spectrum of flavors, and it completely changes the ingredient. Same things happen with malt and even with barleys too um so you have to just be cognizant of that and then ask your bartender ask if hey if your brewer's in there just ask hey what kind of marley or marley Mar- <laughs> barley kind of marley and bark oh that's the kind Mar- of day it's been <laughs> so so just ask you know there's yeah. no harm in asking and and it's really cool because you get to just know about more about what you're putting in your body yeah. You know what I mean? So it's really fun to try and like play around with this. And don't be afraid of these, you know, ingredients. Don't be afraid of them. Try them. Because more often than not, you're going to be surprised at what your body chemistry is going to match with what you're putting in your body. Boom. That's yeah. it. Boom. I actually, really quick on this one, I yeah. like it because I compare it to sugar. Cause okay. so, and when I'm roasting coffee, my job is to bring out the sugars in certain ways. And when you said bitter malts, that made it interesting to me because it is true. People put cream and sugar in coffee because they were trying to cut that bitterness out. And the darker you roast it, it's just like a sugar on a creme brulee, right? You toast it, it gets a little light brown, and it gets darker brown, and you're like, that's perfect. They take it black, and then all of a sudden it gets bitter. And so that's as you go darker and darker and darker, it's not the same kind of bitterness that you have in like a hop, which is the next one, but it's got like a roasty, dark kind of bitterness to it, and it's yeah. it's very different. Yeah, well, and, and it's kind of interesting as you're looking at, at as I look at this this outline that they have created. It kind of makes sense, right? Because typically, I'm not a toffee or chocolate or, or dried fruit 
type of person, which is basically what they outline as like a brown beer, right? Yeah. Or even amber beers like toast or caramel or pie crust. I'm more of like, give me a sandwich on white bread. <laughs> oh, that go- golden beer right there, right? Uh, we're just going to call Eric white bread from <laughs> now on. <laughs> Little right, little white bread, yeah, little white bread. bread. Oh, white bread! <laughs> yeah. But no, seriously, like so. The, and as you look at that, American right? So pale ale, like bread dough, like the, the flavors that come out of those, right? So, and I guess that was my attempt at putting this all together. But uh, hey, man, cheers to little white bread. It works for you. <laughs> yeah, you're our American blonde. What's that? Tammy asked what I would like to drink with this. With this. What is my instinct to want to? Oh, what would I like to eat with that? Yes, I know you asked that, and I said drink. Um, I don't know. Let me see. Are you cooking? Oh yeah, I want braised short ribs from you with that. I'll yeah, sign up for whatever yes. anybody gets. Yeah, <laughs> I kind of almost feel like seafood. I want a steak cooked medium rare and crusted in black pepper because the roastiness, that like that's all I want, is the yes. blood and black pepper. Oh. It just sounds amazing. With the blood and black pepper. I just found the hashtag the for this episode. Yeah, that sounds so hardcore. Blood oh, and black yeah. pepper. Blood. That needs to be one of the name of one of your beers, Brad, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Now I'm Can't, really I, yeah. hungry. For blood and black pepper. Right? Blood yeah. and black. Yes. Perfect for like <laughs> just before Game of Thrones is going yes. on tonight. Blood yes. and black pepper. That's going to be the name of an episode. Yes, please. Damn right, right? <laughs> blood and pepper. Now, okay. Now on, on to the uh, next thing now that we've covered blood and black pepper. <laughs> uh, hops, right? So the hops are the, the hops are kind of like the, like the rock star. They're the lead. They're the front man. But... I mean, there's obviously guys behind the scene that are doing bigger things, but hops seem to get all the glory. Yeah, right now it definitely is. Um, people don't understand how we build flavors, and that's cool. Um, no one understands how a chef puts a dish together as well. But right now, what we're doing with hops and how people look at it, the aromatics you're getting first. Of course, we talk about that with how you smell before you taste. And uh, the bitterness and the correspondence between the sweetness of the product that we build with our malt profile and then the bitterness, which is international bittering you know, unit. So you guys will start to learn the higher it is, more bitter it is. Um, it's a balance. And just because you think that you like hops and bitter beer, and you're like maybe snub your nose at a 50 IBU beer, but it might be perfectly balanced, that is sessionable, that you can have three or four of them, there it is. True. Compared to a tongue scraper at 90 <laughs> IBUs, you're like, oh, I want that. You know what? Yeah, you do, but guess what? Your palate's screwed, and you only had one or two, and you're done. You can't taste anything. So the nuances, I mean, there's like four different like concepts of beer flavors that we work on. So if we blow your palate on your first one, you're not going to pick out on the nuances that I've designed the beer to be. Um, I'm a little bit old school. It's like when I do a design of a beer, there's 11 pages of equations I go through. 11 pages means every aspect is what I want you to taste and flavor. Awesome. Not to always blow your ass out because I'm doing a 100 IBU beer and like, there you go. Yeah. Which, by the way, the black IPA really is a 100 IBU. <laughs> but think about all that malt profile that you talked about that I'm yeah. trying to balance that. So, um, yeah, hops are huge. And they're a natural preservative, so we're cool with that. Um this is really going to go south on me, but, you know, home brewers are all about IPAs, of course, because there's like seven or eight different off flavors in every beer, right? Our jobs can below threshold, so you guys can't taste them. 
you know, and they so all they're there. They're always there. They're always there. Okay. Everyone has yeah. a PPM that we're trying or PP, you know, B that we're trying to get below. So um, certain companies will accentuate these all flavors to make their beer different from others. Okay. Well, as a professional brewer, to me, there shouldn't be any all flavors unless you really want them to be, you know. So to make a clean beer is like step number one. If you're doing an IPA or let's say even a sour or like the black IPA, there's so much going on in that beer. If I fucked up on that beer from brewing it to packaging it to, you know, fermentation, you're not going to taste it. Right. You know, that's why I always say the Pilsner or a, a lighter beer is the hardest beer to brew. But, of course, you know, all your beer-centric people out there, all IPA, you know, guys are like, oh, I'm not going to drink that. I want IPA. Well, sure you do. And yeah. that's amazing. Great beers. Yeah. But doesn't really dictate how badass a brewer really is. Yeah. You know, because if you actually taste their beers, eh, you know, it's really hard to do. Sure. You know? Yeah. So that's the lovely thing about IPAs is we all love them. I'm a hophead. I mean, shit, I always have four or five IPAs always on tap. Love IPAs. I mean, that's my thing. But I love utilizing them kind of like a chef utilizes, you know, um, exotic spices and shit because every year we're getting new stuff coming on the market from New Zealand to you name it that we get to play with. So hops wise. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean I've been brewing for 22 years and still it's like every day there's a new hop comes on. It's like oh I can't wait to try that. You know it's like yeah. Ella I can get that for X amount right now. I'm like we're going to buy a shitload of that and see what we can get out of it. Yeah. You know we do a, a lot of single hop series beers here and we're not trying to make a good beer. So if you guys ever come in and try one of my single hot beers and say this beer sucks, yeah, it probably does. But I don't give a shit. <laughs> what I'm trying to do is learn what this IPA shit. is going to do with this, you know, one hop to say, all right, you know, they're a great example. Um, we just did a hop and it was told to me to be more like juniper berry. So I'm like, oh, shit, I love gin. Mm-hmm. So I drink gin like a motherfucker. I was like, I'm going to try this. I grabbed it, we used it, we dry hopped it all the way through, and it had nothing to do with gin at all. Uh, it came across a little bit more limey and kind of tropical mango, which is, of course, everything that everyone's trying to do. So I'm realizing, all right, the salespeople are trying to say Peco Hops is this. To me, I'm like, I'll never use this for an IPA. Instead, I'll use it for a Mexican Pilsner or a Mexican Lager or something like that. So we do that to learn how how to use this beer in the future to how we want it to be. Gotcha. Smart. Yeah. Smart. Yep. You're building a profile. Yeah. You're building building up a repertoire of your hops that are successful for you and that may not be successful for you. Yeah, we don't know until we try it, right? Yeah. Exactly. So we can put it in your mouth and try it. Yeah, we can muddy it up like (laughs) Simcoe. Like everyone's like, we start talking about the dankness. So I can make it dank and I can make a citra and like we can blow it out of the water and make everyone love it. Well, shit, I don't give a fuck about that. I want to <laughs> yeah. learn about the damn hop. Yeah. I'm like a true chef. I'm like, if I'm going to do it, I want to figure out how to use it next, not to impress you. Yeah. You know, so uh, there's a lot of guys that are doing that in the industry, and I love that. You know, we're all, and we learn from that. And when they do that, I get to go to their place and their brewery and try it. And everyone can be like, oh, un- untapped and like give them a bad rating. But I'm like, you know what? No, I just learned exactly how I want to use this hop next. Thank you. Yeah. You know, so yeah. there's a community of us that are really trying to do that, not to, you know, get that untapped writing. Right. Yeah. Right. 
Good right. for you, dude. I love it, man. I Read love the it. room, Cheryl. Yeah. <laughs> so, Read the room. So this is interesting, too, because there's like traditional, the traditional regional hops, right? So you've got American English and the German hops, yeah. right? But now what I'm seeing a lot, too, is the, is the New Zealand. Yeah. Is New Zealand putting out a lot of hops? Yeah, they really yeah. are. They're, they're putting out hops now. They're, they're hybrids and how they do hops. Hops are amazing. It takes like three or four years after they, they do a hybrid to get them out to us. Um, but, A, they're wheat. I mean, they literally will grow 17 feet tall. And after about three or four years in the field, I mean, we, we have a pretty substantial you know amount that we can get out to brewers and get kind of feedback. So hops are absolutely one of the most amazing um, well, I don't know, c- contributor to the the flavor of beers that we're just having a fucking fun-ass time with. Yeah. You know, all the way to Pilsners. I mean, we're taking Pilsners all the way to IPAs, the Stouts, and I mean, hops are definitely a, uh, a forefront of what we're trying to do. So what are what are some of the characteristics of like so what I'm seeing here like because there's there's different characteristics from each of the regions right sure. so like American hops like t- uh, typically in the northwest right northwest yeah. right yeah. Yeah. Yakima so, Chief is definitely the Hood Valley and uh, Yakima Chief is where we originally like buy a lot of ours from gotcha and, and those are usually the ones that are more the the, the piney resiny but they even have like some of the juicy ones sure. kind of yeah. up in that region right yeah yeah. Uh, what about the English, English hops? Um, English are traditional, like Goldings. I mean, you can't go wrong with the, like, you know, Willamette. I mean, anyone that ever loves stouts or darker beer, beers, I mean, Willamette is like their tra- traditional, what we grew up on. Okay. Uh, but we're cross-breeding right now. It's almost like, you know, saying a chef is like designated to only X amount. Right now, the hop, you know, industry is like cross-breeding and like blowing everybody's mind. Gotcha. You know, so yeah. it's up to our... It's really, to be honest with you, it's now the, the the struggle is up to the brewers to represent these hops that these guys are spending time, you know, with the farmers in the field to say, hey, I did this, not make a good beer out of it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because they see it, you know, it's up to us to make something good out of it. Gotcha. You know? Interesting. So when you see a hop on a menu, how do you know what you're getting? Like, what? how do you know what you're signing up for? You don't. I mean, this is like the <laughs> biggest don't. thing that kills me. And uh, let's go back to, you You know, the uh, the beer community, so to speak, that think they know beer. That Put it this way. Um, we went, I would do the uh, hop selection, and there was 36 varietals of Cascade that I had to do a rub. When you do a rub, you, you smash in your hands, you get the heat and the oils in your hands, and you smell it, and, you know, you get the aromas. You would think Cascade Hops, everyone knows Cascade Hops, right? I mean, we can all say, let's just say Sierra Nevada. We all grew up drinking Sierra Nevada. Cascade Hops is like what made IPAs, IPAs, and Pellels, Pellels, let's say. We're going back to the 90s, so if you disagree with me, you're younger than me. (laughs) (laughs) But what I'm getting at, when I did that hop rub on Cascades on 36 different lots, they were all so different, it blew my mind. Hmm. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I mean, Cascade hops is, is grapefruit. It's kind of citrus. It's kind of tropical. But hell no. Yeah. I don't know if my palate's more devolved to thinking, well, there's a lot of differences. But I'm like, are you shitting me? So here's a big difference, <laughs> too. 
that when I went solo from coming on the corporate level where I could buy, I mean, we were second or third behind, let's say, Sierra Nevada, and we are behind, well, we don't need name drop. But anyway, when I went solo, I realized I didn't have the buying power. I can't get these hops. So I'm getting what everybody else didn't want. So let's just say those 36 hops, right? Ah, I'm getting number two at the end of the level. <laughs> I'm like, how am I supposed to brew good beer with this hops that nobody else wants because they wanted the better sure. hops before me? Right. So the wine industry gets to say, all right, 91 was great for a Pinot Noir. Great. But, you know, last year, wine sucked. Guess what? You can reduce your price and, you're, you know, people don't give a shit. On the beer industry, if my IPA changes... They're going to ridicule me out the ass, and no one understands what I'm dealing with. Industry is still an agricultural base. So the hops are going, the grain is going, the wheat's going. Everything is going against me. My job is to put it all together so it's a consistent product that you guys don't understand it. I don't get to say, hey, 2020, Helton IPA. That's going to change. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody wants to hear that. Yeah. So that's true. But yeah, hops are a huge component. Um, it is kind of like the spice of beer and like, yeah. you know, what you want to do with it and how you use it. Uh, and we're getting very, very creative and we're learning from each other. It's amazing. Yeah. You know, so it, that's the beauty of it. New Zealand's coming on the board. Um, there's a lot of states. I know New York's doing this and so is Michigan that is dictating. That if you use local hop farms, that you get a tax write-off. So you get actually kind of like a, a chef working with a local, you know, uh, farmer to cater, you know, a certain type of hops, which I would love to work with. I think that would be amazing, but we're in the desert, so that's kind of hard. Yeah. But there's a lot of states that are requiring that, which I think is really cool. Yeah. You know, we're trying to bring us all together and kind of like showcase, you know, what it is. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I was at Riba Farms last weekend. They're yeah. starting to grow their own stuff. They're mm-hmm. doing some really cool things down there. They're doing uh, Neo-Mexicana, which actually is a very good arid weather kind of hop to grow. Uh, they're doing Cascade and then another experimental. And I got in there, and they're, I mean, doing beautiful things. I mean, their vines are probably, like, almost 20 feet tall. Nice. They're very young, but nice. they're ready to rock and roll. And that Neo-Mexicana is... I've never had that before. I mean, maybe I have, but I can't really distinct that because it's so brand new. And that's so exciting about it, too, oh, yeah. especially with a hop that's going to grow well in Arizona. Arizona, don't think of it. I mean, yes, we are a desert. It just means that we just don't get that much rainfall, right? That's the, that's the clinical definition of what a desert is, is the amount of rainfall that you get. So in Arizona, you can have tailor-made hops to grow into. I mean, agriculture is so diverse. I mean, you can really have your your way with whatever you want. You just have to figure out what grows and what doesn't. Yep. And so that Neomexicana is going to be really interesting in the next couple of months when that matures and seeing what brewers are going to pick it up and and turn it into some delicious frosty adult beverages. So, yeah. <laughs> so I'm excited. Boom. Mm-hmm. So for the purpose of the test, here's what I'm going to cover. Okay. American traditional regional hop traits... Piney, citrus, resiny, tropical fruit, and caddy. I won't really get into that. <laughs> caddy? Caddy. Say it with the wet? 
cat piss? Cat piss. Yeah, yeah. I've tasted that several times, and I even identified it before. It's so It was true, like a descriptor. Too. I'm like, You're this like, tastes like cat piss. I'm like, oh, yeah, perfect. I'm like, perfect? <laughs> what are you talking about? No. So, uh, and then the English hops traditionally are earthy, herbal, and woodsy. Those are the more earthy. Sure. Yeah. Yep. And then the German and Czech are floral, perfumey, which I didn't think it was a word, peppery, and minty. Yeah. Yeah. Now New Zealand's coming into the board to uh, throw a wrench and all that shit. I love it. I like wrenches. So uh, <laughs> so finally, um, as far as the flavor profiles, uh, yeast has a huge difference too, right, in flavor? To me, it's like uh, yeast is the player. That's the, the lead role of any beer. Um, as you grow into brewing, like I said, I've been brewing for 20 years. Probably the first two or three years, I killed everything on the hops. And then you try to figure out what you're doing. For like uh, five to 12 years, you start to think about what you're doing with the malt profile. And then after that, you realize you really don't know what the fuck you're doing. You know, <laughs> you're an idiot. <laughs> and then you study your ass off. And then you realize one day that, you know, yeast is the number one flavor profile that's going to dictate how your beer is going to be. And the reason it is because you don't want to dive into it. It's a little more complex than you want to, or you might not really be at that point. So you hide it. So we can I, we can throw a shitload of hops in any beer and hide every off flavor. We talked about that. We can throw a lot of like you know malted barley and like roasted and chocolate to hide all of our off flavors. We're kidding you guys. We're like, ah, our beer is great, but in yeah. all reality, yeah. you still don't know what the fuck you're doing. <laughs> then one day you have to accept the fact that, yes, you have to realize the world of beer and fermentation revolves around life underneath the microscope. You have to, like, understand that there's a simple analogy that if you're having a wedding reception and you invite X amount of people, but you don't have enough food, which is sugar. What we as brewers, what's all we're making? We're making sugar, right? And if we don't have enough yeast to consume those sugars, there's going to be a problem. If you have too much food and not enough sugar, there's going to be a problem. So every off flavor that you guys ever taste in beer, I'm telling you, it's going to be from that. It's going to be a yeast problem. So yeast is the most important aspect of brewing beer. Uh, your selection of what you're trying to do, who you're bringing to the, the party, and the flavor compounds they're going to do. But, yeah, yeast is, to me, the, the, the ultimate uh, companion. Um, they laugh because I always tell people, I'm really not a brewer. I'm a stainless steel cleaner. I'm a yeast farmer. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I'm a yeast farmer. Yeah. yeah. I look underneath the microscope every day. I count my cells. I see their cell walls and see how healthy they are and what I need to feed them. But if you you have to pitch the amount, when we say pitch, that means like how many pounds per barrel that we're like, you know, adding yeast to it. Um, but yeast is the most crucial part of making beer. Yeah. yeah. And it's, cr- it's tricky because it's an actual living organism. Yes, it you is. You know, because it can have different variances. Say it's like a really, you are off by a couple degrees in the water that you're doing it, that can even affect it, oh, too. so much. You know, there's unreal. so many different things that can affect yeast. And that's one thing that you're right, Brian. It's like people just don't think about it because it is such a crucial part. But it's just like that 
kind of like underlying thing that you just don't naturally think about because yeah. people are consumed about their hot pl- profile. Oh, they're, yeah. they're so consumed about other things, but they don't for- they forget about the process. And the yeast is definitely such an such well, an important. When's the last game. time you guys looked at a can of beer or looked at any type of beer being produced and said, "Oh, this is a yeast we're using," and there's our cell count? <laughs> right. No, they're telling them they're. The hops they use, or anything mm-hmm. else, or they're, they're selling you on everything else. What it else. pairs well with, yeah. and that's that's fine for the typical yeah. consumer. But for the beer geeks like us, we're just like, what kind of yeast did you use? Yeah. <laughs> well, I just think about it. You just said you're dealing with an agricultural product that changes year to year, yes. and then you're processing that agricultural product with a living organism, yep. which does what it wants to do. So, if you are coming into a brewery and you have a beer that is consistently good all the time. That guy probably guy or girl. Uh, Thank you. Deserves your respect. <laughs> like that. That's something that they're doing very well because that's a lot of change to deal with to create a consistent product. Sure. Absolutely. I mean, it's easy to do one-offs anytime. I mean, a chef would probably love to do. Well, France, they do all that damn time. And like, no, spring. I love that place. But they do like ah, oh, two showings tonight, seven and nine o'clock. We're doing two offerings. That's it. I mean, be amazing, right? As a chef. Yeah, but yeah, to do it every single day, be consistent, Mm -hmm. that's what brewers have to deal with that people don't understand. But yet, they judge the hell out of us if we're not on it. Sure, sure. And there are really two two types of yeast, right? Ale and lager. Yeah, 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 exactly. There's an ale or lager. And, you know, other than that, the flavor profile that we can get, I mean, I think there's like 460 to 600 different strains. And there's hybrids, and we can go on and on. Um but yeah, it's to be honest with you, how I develop my beers first, I look at the yeast strain I want to use, and then I go from there. Oh, know, interesting. How okay. I'm going to feed it, what the water chemistry is going to be, because you're thinking about this. It's a living organism that you're trying to feed, and you're asking it to do its job. You know, you don't start with saying, oh, yes, I want to do a, a IPA with mosaic and citra and Ella or something like that. I mean, that's. That's stupid. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's shit. It's like a Tamagotchi. Remember that? No. Like the Tamagotchi, you have to constantly feed it and making sure that it's like watered and like nurtured and yeah. loved. And it's, it the, is, it's the a little keychain. Yeah. It's oh, an yeah. electronic. I've gotten pet. so much trouble in sixth grade oh, for having those. those. Yeah. Yep. That's, something really that, that's something that teachers are aware of because they have to take them from their kids. That's, that's, that's there's so she, many things that I see in my freaking knows. classroom. But no, Brian's right. It is, it is definitely like an animal that you have to nurture. Yeah. So. Very got, cool, though. You bring it into your home, you feed it, you you mm-hmm. know give it life, and hopefully it brings you know happiness to everyone else here. <laughs> you know that's what we're trying to do. That's the basics of being a brewer, to be honest with you. So far, yeah. so good. Yeah. <laughs> cool. And then finally, uh, off flavors. Off flavors are a big part of of. Yeah, it is. Um, like I said, every single yeast strain develops like six or seven, up to eight. You know, all flavors on every yeast strain. Um, certain brewing companies, which we're not going to name, gr- you know, drop because, you know, you guys are getting pretty badass and big yourselves. But Thanks, certain uh, <laughs> breweries will accentuate these all flavors to make their beer stand out. Um, and everybody knows them. But, you know, in my opinion, there should not be any all flavors in craft beer, period. Period. Um, that's your job. Um and to do that it has to do with timing, um, yeast healthcare, what you're doing, and to you know make sure people understand that the beer is ready when it's ready to be put out. 
you know. It's like, you know, Tamara, she's been here all night, you know. It's like there's no way that she would do, you know, any type of stock and only do it for an hour. She's like, hell no. This is going to take, you know, 24 to 48 hours before we're going to use the stock for anything that she does in any of her dishes. Yeah. So for brewers to say, all right, we're going to put a beer out like that because we have to meet the demand of distributors or, you know, sales. No, you just don't. Um, It gets to that point, sure. But um, all flavors should not be in beers. You know, yeast health and QAQC, there's a lot of things people can be doing. Just a simple microscope can tell you so much about what's going on in your brewery. You know, if you know that, then you're able to do it. Sensory is a big thing. I think this all started today because uh, the Cicerone program. Yep. Yeah. Right. You know, I mean, the Cicerone program is great. And we talked about that for servers. But the Cicerone for owners, brewers, um, the master Cicerone, I'm a huge component of it. It's like, you know, people can tell you all day your beer is great. Great. But have you been tested? And the Cicerone program at least tests people. It's the only test we have, right? Yeah. You know, for a brewer to anyone yeah. to say, you know, you actually know what the fuck you're doing. It's a yeah. baseline. <laughs> yeah, it's it a is. baseline yeah. test yeah. where yeah. it's like and you take your professional development to a certain level, and right. to have this Cicerone certification, it's not just like a badge of honor, like you know, you get it on your you know merit badge. It's like now it's not mm-hmm. a task that you've completed. It's actual contemplation of what your craft is yeah. and what your profession is, and that's mm-hmm. why. Cicerone is so important yeah. to people like you. And, I mean, it's it's not just one level. It would be if it were just one level. But the fact of the matter is that it goes above and beyond. And there are only, how many do we say, like 20 or so Master Cicerones in the country, That's in the world? Time. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it does. it's not just like one little half step up into another. It is a professional development that you have to acquire. It really is. And Ray Daniels has done a great job of developing it. Yeah. He's made it in steps so people can, you know, follow up, you know. So it's something that uh, I'm a, a huge component of. Uh, I followed it. I did it. Um, but I wish more people would realize that. And if you really want to be out there and, like, contributing to your opinion to my industry, <laughs> Ah, uh, you got a sister on level? I'm listening. Yeah. Other than that, <laughs> start drinking more beer. <laughs> get used to it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Drink more beer and get there soon. I do got Love a question, it. though. So is there, so like cooking, roasting, anything like that you can taste as you go? Is there a way in brewing beer where you're like, oh, this oh, is set up, this yeah. is not proper? Yeah. Okay. Because I always feel like, a, you know, you see the big metal containers and it's like, do they just pump it out in the barrels and then no, taste it? Like, no, oh, it's, well, that sucked. And then have to dump it. Well, then I, I welcomed you to brew with me one day. Cause I, I love that, Throughout actually. the whole process, we're taking pHs, we're taking bricks levels. Um, I can go on and on about polyphenols and what part of it is. But through our whole, our whole day of brewing, we're analyzing everything to understand when we need to stop it and put it down the drain. You know? Or it's like, you know, um, yeah, just brew with me one day. You'll, you'll get it. But there's parameters that we look at on the technical side that dictates how we keep some of these off flavors out of the equation. Mm. Okay. Know. Yes. So there's the artistic, and then there's a science, hard science part oh, where there's you can a actually cut that stuff out. I mean, I mean, craft beer is craft beer, yes. But there's, like I said, there's 11 pages or 12 pages I do on the scientific level and just equations that it's all science. Love it. That's know. cool. And to be honest with you, it's all kind of just like... I don't know. Um, it is. It's mathematics. Yeah. Uh, you can't argue with math- mathematics. 
You know, if you have a, a, a somewhat of a palate and you understand what you're trying to do, it's like a three-legged stool. You have it in your head what you think the beer is going to be. Then you have it in the head what the brew day happens. And the brew day can have all kinds of things happen. Equipment failure, uh, temperature variation. You walked outside to have lunch or whatever or smoke a cigarette and the brewer does. And now it's spiked up. And there's so many things that can happen on the brew day. And then you have what you dictated with your you know, yeast calculations underneath the microscope. But maybe they didn't do what you wanted or they did more than you wanted to. So then the third leg of the stool is, all right, flavor profile. Did it match what you wanted? So very rarely do you have a, a, a good leg of stool that you're like, all right, this is going to be a good beer. So there's so much to learn on every time you brew a beer that you can analyze. You can analyze this shit to death. You know, um, the worst brewers in the world are like, oh, yeah, here it is, one-off beer. This is great. Everyone enjoy it. I'm happy as shit. All right, fuck you. Do it again. <laughs> Got the <laughs> touch of the lazy. That's the hard happening. part, right? Yeah. 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 Now, if you do yeah. it again and you match it and everyone digs it and you dig it, all right, like, like I said, you hit the numbers, that's when you start to feel confident. Like, hey, right, yeah, we got something going on yep. here. You know. Somebody write this shit down. Yeah. Yeah. That's where 11 pages come from. <laughs> no, right? 11 pages. <laughs> you got to do yes. it. Perfect. So, real quick. So, you, you said, uh, as far as off flavors go, you say oxygen is your enemy, right? So, that oxidation yeah. is what really creates some of the those significant off flavors. This is a very rudimentary, and all you brewers do not fuck with me on this one. <laughs> but you can say that, all right, how we purge a vessel... You know, it was a CO2, okay? So CO2, we can look at as maybe a tennis ball. So we're looking at a 30-barrel, which is 60-keg vessel, right? Or a keg, or even a can or a bottle. You know, it doesn't matter. Then O2, which is our enemy, is almost the size of a racquetball. So if you put them all together, the space in between them, you can really never, ever eradicate O2. Now, we can do our best, and there are certain companies that recapture and like I said, brewers, don't fuck with me. But, yeah, we can spend a lot of money on doing that to get that out. But O2 is our worst enemy. So when we look at shelf stability, and the best way for me to put this to you guys, you know, if you're drinking a beer and you ever notice, like, maybe an IPA or any beer that if you drink it and out of nowhere, those hops just, like, fade, that's oxidized. Uh, and it could be two different ways. It could be oxidation on the process on the hot end. Could be on the packaging. Uh, there's a rule of thumb, which I think Bell said to me one time, that if it's, let's say, 70 IBUs. So if you look at the bottom of your can or your bottle, and it's like 70 days past the date of packaging, probably don't buy it. Probably Because, you know, you might not be happy. And then you're going to give these guys a negative comment or, you know, the dumbasses are going to Yelp or untapped. It's like, don't do it. You know, and that has nothing to do with us or the brewery. That has to do with, you know, packaging or distribution. Who knows what? But the rule of thumb on IPAs, we'll just use this as an example, is one day per IBU. You know, so that's a great way for you guys to, like, say, all right, this is packaged well or not packaged well. So, but, yeah, definitely uh, that is something that we're all challenged with, and oxidation is totally our biggest enemy. Gotcha. You know, we fight it daily, and if you think about it, it's almost like a restaurant. I mean, 
Who's the lowest man on the totem pole in a restaurant? A dishwasher. Who's the lowest man totem pole in a goddamn brewery? Yeah. The guy fucking kegging beer and bottling beer and canning beer. So the last person touching my product before it goes out, really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what sucks. Point. That is the and then someone Smart. is like in you know New Mexico trying my beer for the first time, going, "This is oxidized and this beer sucks." I'm like, "God damn it! No, it doesn't. <laughs> you just got it at the wrong point." <laughs> yeah, right. I almost want to try a mini science experiment of a dollar or a dollar, a day of IBUs. So like get something that's fresh and then set a calendar Do event it. and say, okay, I'm in. 70 Do days, it. In. crack it open and see what it's like and then yeah. get a fresh one to compare. Yeah. That'd be a very easy, like, cost-effective way to, to right, test right. that theory. I love the same that. ones and just let them... Yeah, yeah, we do, we do that anyway in here, but do we're you? controlled. Good. Of course you, know? you do. We're controlled in fucking here. Brilliant. With, yeah, but at the same time, it's not my perception. Yeah. I would love to get the guest perception. It's like our, what that is, you know, because certain, like I said, when you certain distributors expect X amount, you mm-hmm. know, so you right. go 90 to 120 and 120 to 180s, you know, so some for me, like, yeah, that's. It's a, a big hurdle to to look at because there's a lot sure. I can do on my back end. I mean, hot side aeration is what I can control. Mm-hmm. The back end, shit. You know. And it's like, could you find a sweet spot? Could you find it an optimal time frame of when it is good to drink? Is it good within a week? Is it two weeks? Is it right. three weeks? That's Depends we're on all the IVs. Going I'm after. super stoked about that, yeah. Brian. We need to do that. Yeah, we, we do. Need to do that. Yeah, we'll Down. record it. So really quick, I mean, yes. I guess as we're record it, drink it, go. Yeah. <laughs> as we're heading towards wrapping up, I'm sure if you were going to talk to. A no, somebody who knows nothing like me and say, you're going into craft beer, this is how you should approach it when you come into my shop. Um, be open-minded. Um, come into my shop or go into any brewery, any damn brewery, and it's like, give them the benefit of the doubt. It's like, if you had their beer at a beer shop and it's like, yeah, oh, this beer I'm not happy with, go to the actual brewery and try it. Because we just talked about all the parameters from leaving my place to distribution to going to a you know a beer craft shop and how they handle the beer. Right. Here's a great example. There was one buddy of mine that was really happy that he signed and they put him at the front, but it was during the summertime or wintertime. So they were right when he walked in the door. Guess what? The door is open. Guess what? The heaters are right on it. So he had like 40 cases sitting there, front row, happy, and he was on the end tap, and bam, all the beer he had to reclaim because, you know, he wasn't ready for that because his yeast count, because he's not filtering. So that's the growing pains that we're trying to deal with. Um, Be open-minded, like I said. Go to the brewery. Go to the brewery, taste your beer, support your local guys. Are they consistent? Are they doing well? Uh, there's a lot of great beer being produced in Arizona right now. Um, I really think that I, I said this like two or three years ago. We're like we're, we're four or five years behind San Diego. We're beating on their damn doors right now. Yeah, there's some really good guys Indeed. brewing some really good beers right now. There's 110 you know? breweries in Arizona right now. Yeah, 
And right now, it's it's not a survival of the fittest situation because it's kind of like we have so much space to do this. Yeah. yeah. So we're exactly, we're yeah. not we're not stuck in this in this like corner of San Diego that like they have to do. They got a freaking ocean that they got it. No, we Arizona, we are manifest fucking destiny out here. <laughs> yeah. All right, we can make this happen. So yeah. exactly, just like Brian said, go and check out your local guys. Talk to you know your certified Cicerone bartenders. <laughs> it's okay to ask. But, guys, thank you so, so much. So, so much. Yeah. Today was so enlightening, educated. I, I really hope that people will take what our series is and move forward with this. Our bartenders out here who listen to us, our brewers, our entire community takes exactly what we are saying today is moving forward with this. And thank you again so much, Brian Helton. You're one of my favorites. You know that. I love that smile. Thank you, love. Thank you guys so much for being on our podcast today. Thanks, Eric. I appreciate it, man. Is right here. Hello. Hello. Hi, I'm and back. goodbye. <laughs> Hello and goodbye. Hello and goodbye. All right. Thank you, everybody. Everybody from Crescent Crown Distributing, Ankle Dew, Helton. Thank you guys so much for joining us on our podcast today. We love you all ever so much. All right. Thank you for listening, everybody. I just want to give another shout out, another thank you to Brian Helton. Uh, he was very gracious with his time and, and his shop, and we just were very appreciative of that. And, so not only would I like you to like, follow, share, tap that AZ, but also reach out to Brian Helton, like, share, follow him as well. And while you're at it, you might as well like, share, follow Inkle Do as well. And with that, everybody, we'll say adieu.